Welcome back to Tectulia with Vidal Gonzalez. That's me. And then uh, I'm Matt Pashensky. We have new popper stoppers at our studio here in Guadalajara, Mexico. Q4 Studio. So uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, today we're going to be talking about platforms. So it's good to get the popper stoppers in here. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about platforms and what they are. Yeah. Um, how we interact with them every day because everybody interacts with platforms in the way that we're going to talk about them today. But I think a lot of times people, especially in technology, we think about them just as either everything or anything or, very, you know, it's like, yeah, what is it? So we're going to use some examples and we're going to talk about maybe some of the underlying principles. Absolutely. And, and I think that platforms are, I think, very well understood by some people. And then it, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a fussy topic that hopefully we can give you some insight of how to how to play with it, how to understand the concept, and how to use it yourself because I think they're very powerful and, and you see how many companies have done tremendous business on top of building platforms. Yeah, before we go into to, and define it, right. I think, which we should do in this first segment, is kind of talk about, I think if you were going to start a technology company these days, everybody wants to be a platform because platforms, you can think of some example companies, Facebook is a social platform. Right. Um, or a social network, but in, in a lot of ways, it's a platform where everyone's using the same kind of tools and technologies um, to accomplish certain types of goals. Uh, iOS is an example we're going to use, uh, the iPhone and the App Store. Right. Amazon Web Services is probably a great example. Windows. Windows was a great first, I, I guess the first technological platform we ever had. Yeah, but you might think, well, Windows isn't a platform, right? This, they didn't even have the internet, That's right? an operating system. It's, it's, it's just, a, you know, it was a bunch of floppy disks exactly. that you get and you plug in your computer. That's not a, that's not a, it wasn't on the internet. Well, actually, Windows was probably the big, biggest, most successful platform of all time in business. Um, but we can also talk about Toyota and how they use platforms and how car companies use platforms. Um, and then Going along with the platform itself, the technology or the tool sets, is a bunch of different uh, practices, like ways of ways of working. You, if you're working at a platform company, you're going to have a very different approach versus working at a pure product company. Yeah. And so we'll get some examples back and forth. But first of all, like, well, how would you define a platform in general? Yeah. Let me let me take a. Uh, a stab at it, but we probably will um, evolve uh, our understanding of platforms as we talk more uh, about them. But to me, it is, um, it is the quintessential way of building something and reusing it extremely to the benefit of others and to creating uh, probably an ecosystem or um, the environment so that your platform, whatever that is, because I don't want to just pinpoint it on software or technology, but whatever you're building gets used extremely well by the users of those platforms and people get to use it instead of building their own thing or mm -hmm. trying to um, cut corners to, to do their No, I, I like the words, I like the words you use, which is ecosystem, 
uh, people building on top of something. And you think of what a platform is, right? right. I, grew, I grew up on Platform Place. That was, that was the street when I grew up on. But really? They were talking about uh, oil platforms, you know, out in the ocean. Right. You have these big, big platforms and they'll each drill like 20 wells and it'll go under and suck out all the oil. Right. But these things are elevated, right? And the idea that you can stand on top of something yes. and use a whole bunch of tools, I think is a very important thing. Um, but then I wrote down a few notes for myself. Um, when you are using a platform, one of the distinguishing features of what it's like to use a platform is the autonomy. And that's maybe contrasted with centralized control. Right. If I go to, for instance, we're going to talk about Amazon in the next one, so I don't want to do too much on Amazon, but you go to AWS, which is Amazon Web Services. Right. You don't, you know, it doesn't tell you what to build. doesn't give you like... A, a task to tell you to go do it. Yeah. It gives you a bunch of things and you pull those. So it's not a push system, it's a pull system. Um, and that means that because you have autonomy, you have certain freedoms. Yeah. You can do certain things that you wouldn't be able to do by standing on top of the shoulders of giants and so on. Yeah, and, and I think it's, uh, to me, is a platform materializes and, and really becomes usable to the masses when the benefit of using that platform uh, outsets you trying to do whatever you want to do as an individual or as a company on your own. And, and, and I guess I, I was very fluffy and, and all over the place with that definition, but, but think of it this way, right? Um, if I'm going to build a company with a product that will service a specific market, mm -hmm. first I need to decide how would I get it in the hands of users? And, and, and to me is you use a platform uh, and you can build your own, but you use a platform, an existing platform so that your time to get whatever you want to build on top of the hands of others is, is faster. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk, I think, a lot about that and the economics of it, of, um, you know, can you accomplish something on the platform easier mm -hmm. than outside the platform? And there's a whole theory, the theory of the firm by Ronald Coase. Yes. I'm surprised it took us to the fourth episode to bring that up since it's one of my favorite things. Um, we're also going to talk about a, an amazing uh, blog post. And if you're in tech, if you're in a tech company, you should have right. read this post um, like once a year. Yeah, it, that's a great point. Let me tell you why. Because um, I, I, I was having a conversation at work with uh, some engineers about what does it mean to build a platform. And, and to me, it was the back of my mind of the concept that Steve, Stevie, sorry, yeah. had, uh, had put in. But it was difficult for me to, to make it very clear. So I went back to this. And let's talk about the specific article I'm describing. But you have a great point. Every person should be reading this article every, every year. Yeah, and I think by the time we get to the end of this, I'm convinced that the principles of this Stevie uh, blog post, it's, it's known as the Steve Yegi brand or Stevie brand. Um, this is this guy at Google who had worked at Amazon. Um, you know, one of the points he brings up in it, though, is the idea of accessibility. Mm -hmm. And the, and the notion is this, right? If you build some great tool and you want to keep it to yourself, that's maybe the old way of thinking, right? right? Where you have property, right? The new way of thinking is, no, 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 I have a service that people will pay me to use. I need to get it as widely as possible. And that widely as possible is the idea of accessibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a powerful notion in computer software now in the age of the internet, mm -hmm. or even if you're Windows, right? Everybody used Windows. They made it cheap. Right. They made it easy. 
Um, but it's also going to be an important topic. And by the time we get to the end of this blog, uh, this pod, um, I want to talk about the impacts to politics mm-hmm. and to economics because, you know, the way I feel about the United States is United States or, you know, even in Mexico, wherever, wherever, wherever you come from, right? Right. Um, is a platform right. in some ways, right? Because I can use the roads. Mm-hmm. I can breathe the air. I can drink the water or not. Right. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, you know, I have access to being safe and, and having police protection and stuff like that. And so those are all kind of services um, that we might have thought of as, oh, that's government. But if we reconceptualize them in the terms of platform, we can think, okay, how does our government uh, actually look like a great prototype uh, for some of the things we should be using in business? And rather than thinking as government as the antithesis of business, we start to see businesses look much more like government. So um, we'll talk about how accessibility and inequality and Universal rights have a lot of the same uh, features as, as uh, Stevie talked about in 2011 when he was talking about Google, how Google was not as good as Amazon in certain ways. So anyway, we'll wrap it up for this first segment and we'll come back and talk about Amazon Web Services, which I think is the most prototypical platform um, this day and age. That and Windows. Oh, and Windows. And iOS. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, in this section, we're going to talk about platforms from a very technology focus, but we don't want to make you think that the only way to think about platforms is through tech, but this will be the, the tech focus. And um, everybody in tech thinks they understand platforms, but there's this amazing rant, and this is from 2011, so I don't know what's going on at Google now. Right. But basically, it was this guy named Steve Yeggy. He was at Google. Uh, he had worked there about six and a half years, mm-hmm. and before that, he had worked at Amazon for like six years. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he said that every single thing at Google was better than every other thing at Amazon. Like, Google was better in every single way, except one thing. And if you look at the valuation of Amazon, it's worth more or similar to Google. But he said that every single thing at Amazon was terrible compared to Google, except for one thing, or three things, actually, but the other two were minor. He says (laughs) that Amazon was good at platforms. They understood platforms. Yes. And uh, it was kind of a wake-up call uh, to the rest of Google that they just didn't have it and what was it? Right. And I think for, for those of us who are building companies or, you know, thinking about how to make uh, our own products or, or environments better, um, all of the stuff in this, and like I said, is it, super good. And like I said, uh, probably once worth once a year, just re- revisiting this because it's a very entertaining, uh, but Vidal, why don't you kind of give us an explanation of what the main points from at least the technical aspect of Yegi's rant was. Yeah, so I think I think I'll, I'll mention um, what specifically he mentions about Jeff Bezos and the like. I think this email uh, that basically started uh, service orientation in in Amazon uh, has been written about by several people. But I think Yegi's uh, explanation of how it impacted Amazon is is, is among the best. So. I'm just gonna read real quick of uh, some of the things that I think are the most important, and that but you guys can obviously go through the whole thing. Um, it's quite good. So the first is all teams will henceforth expose their data and functionality through service interfaces. And I think for most software engineers these days, this is not a surprise, right? Like service orientation, service oriented architectures are here to stay and we've been using them for a while, but you you need to think of what Jeff Bezos was thinking back then, right? This was a new pattern, right? For 
for how to build software, but it's arguable as well. Uh, but and, he basically and, and for people who don't know what a service-oriented architecture is, right? Uh, it's essentially becoming much more strict with how two people interact, which on the one hand makes it harder for any two people to interact, but it makes it a lot easier if you want to use allow hundreds of people to do right. the same thing. A good way to think about it, if you have no idea of tech, is getting a tailored suit versus buying off the rack. Now, obviously, a tailored suit right. is super nice, but you're not going to sell. 10,000 tailor suits. You, but if you have an off the rack, you made in a factory. And most of the clothes we buy now are off the rack, but you might only have like one really nicely tailored outfit. Well, if you're us, but. Uh, yeah, if, if you even think it this way, for example, I think if you, if you think of it like the um, telephone system, right? Back mm -hmm. in the day, I could have potentially run a cable from my telephone to your telephone, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact that I need to be routed through certain systems that then will connect me through the rest of the world, that's what created the telephone system. And in, and, and, and in building services means I will have an interface through which, which is this like telephone, uh, what, what is it? Uh, switching. Switching, right? Um, that instead of me just drawing a cable to your house, if, if we were living close enough, uh, I will use these services or these interfaces to get to the rest of the world. And this is the second thing that Jeff Bezos asked, right? Which is the fundamental thing, I think, to, to consider as service orientation in a platform is teams must communicate with each other through these services, meaning no cheating. You won't just like, oh, I have this way of doing this thing. Let me go ahead and directly communicate with this database or with this storage system or whatever. That's not allowed, right? And I think to me is one of the most important things because um, you're basically providing a basis for discipline, for pushing the limits or the uh, vision of every service to be as useful as it can be and is the basis for a very powerful concept that we will probably get more deeper into, but dog footing, meaning you use what you build as is, and if it doesn't work, and if it doesn't work for you, you don't go and build your own thing, you improve that mm -hmm. service that already exists instead of trying to hack it, right? Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that to me is when most companies try to build um, platforms, they probably start playing that difficult and, 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 and risky balance of trying to do something hacky and that's when you lose the value of, of those platforms from the beginning. And this is probably more of a software engineering, um, software-related constraint. But to me, the most important thing that Jeff Bezos did was give the team a very simple mandate. Build services, use them, not cheating. It won't be allowed. And I think there's, there's a couple other directives, but I think that the big one is also that it had to be externalizable. Right. So you you imagine you're working at Amazon, and you know your your friend uh, you know on the on the next next building over says, hey, can I use you know this database of you know uh, the prices of soap and you know across the network, you know, right. whatever whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, now that happens at almost every company. You you have a friend, you know, or something like that, um, and you you ask for something. But what what Bezos said is that you also need to build it so that anyone anywhere 
can use it. Can use it. Yeah. Now you might say that they're not. They don't have permission to use it. Right. Or that it costs money to use it. Mm-hmm. But they have to be able to access your your gateway or your your yeah. API. Yeah. Which means you need security. You need rate limiting. All that stuff. Right? Yeah. And, and, and these are very, it's like a pain in the ass. Imagine anytime you wanted to do something, you had to worry about, well, let's give hackers access to this. And maybe they could come and like, you know, uh, DDoS me or something like that. No, yeah. And, and, and the most important thing about what you just described is um, the fact that it needs to be externalized. When you, whenever you're building something and it's just you and me that are thinking about how to use this something, this service, I might be only thinking about your needs, right? About, our business, but from AWS's perspective is, if you make it externalizable, you need to start thinking about how to craft that interface so that people with different use cases can leverage it. What do I mean by that? If Amazon would only have to stick to, um, let's say, e-commerce platforms, probably a lot of the design that went into those interfaces and services would have been far different. I think the that the beautiful thing about AWS is basically building interfaces for things that to us look quite simple to access. Again, one of the benefits of a platform, because otherwise, if I needed to use a computing resource, the barrier of entry or the effort that I need to use that resource and set it up would be so high. Um, That's why I rather use a platform like AWS and benefit from their design of that interface instead of me trying to do it myself. Again, a benefit of, of, of using a platform instead of doing it yourself. And, and what, what this overall, I mean, because he, he sends this email and then he, he got this uh, like drill sergeant kind of guy, this ex, yeah. ex-army, ex, he went to West Point, comes in and he's just cracking heads and he says, everybody has to have a hardened interface. You know, every, you know, every service needs to be uh, durable and you have to, it has to stand up to anything that the public can throw at it. What it allowed was immense amounts of accessibility, which meant that once, you know, the, the first step is very hard, mm-hmm. but once you get to that, that break-even point where people are spending most of their time not rebuilding services, but using existing ones, existing ones then the amount of extra resources that are available allow those services to get better and better and better. And what happened was a runaway virtuous cycle mm-hmm. where the services became so good that they released Amazon Web Services, which yep. is, I think, maybe what Bezos had in mind, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the net result was Amazon Web Services is now probably the, one, the most widely used cloud service. I don't think that's even close. It's most widely used cloud service. It's the most profitable part of Amazon by a wide margin. Yeah. Because the rest of Amazon is like trying to give give stuff away at cost. Right. And um, it's a huge component of Amazon's overall value and its success. And frankly, there's a ton of companies, including ours, including many of our customers that, that we have that are using Amazon Web Services. So it's mm-hmm. like it, it, it was this runaway growth that was enabled by accessibility, that mm-hmm. anybody had to be able to use the service mm-hmm. on an essentially equal footing. Yeah. And I think when we, as we go through and we stop talking about technology as much, I want to like highlight that issue that the benefits of giving things away and making them accessible or at least purchasable at a, at a good price mm-hmm. um, can far outweigh the, the sense of security that you might get or ownership that you might get on keeping something to yourself. Mm-hmm. 
you know, imagine, you know, just to give an example, imagine a city where every person has a backyard, right? Right. Versus New York City where no one has a backyard, but they got Central Park. Right. right? Like, which is better. And if you look at the price per house, the market at least says that Central Park and the other amenities that are held in common right. um, and are accessible to everyone within New York City outweigh the benefits of being able to keep something for yourself. And I think that's one of those ideas that's built in yeah. to the notion of, of platforms. And one of the reasons why they're so powerful is that many people reusing the same thing, whether it's a park where everyone can go jogging rather than a, a backyard that's empty 99.9% of the time, except for your dog, you know, pooping in it or whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and so the, these are the things that tend to make these runaway growth possible, whether it's New York City or AWS. I think they have a lot of the same characteristics, but one of them is accessibility, shared, equal use across all people, and, um, and, and, and that reuse allowing a much higher utilization and benefit. What about, and, and let's, let's talk about, um, can you build something and then turn it into a platform or does the platform mentality and the principles required to build a platform need to be there from the beginning? So think of it like, like this way. And, and, and in software terms, do I build an application and then later on build the or wrap the logic of that application with APIs so that now people can start using it? I, I think it's, a, it's, not, it's not even, it's not technology. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's a strategy. I think it's a value system. And it's deeply ingrained in people. I think it's a cultural thing. When we talk about culture, a lot of times it gets real fuzzy, like, are we a happy culture? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I do know that culturally, for instance, at our company, uh, WiseLine, uh, like our, the first thing most of us think about when we create something new is, how can we sell this to everybody? How can we make this universally <laughs> available? Like, when it's totally inappropriate sometimes. Like, yeah. Like, oh, wow, uh, you know, we're, we're putting in a new uh, kitchen in our new office. How could we make it so that anybody could use this kitchen? It's like, it's like right. it's a stupid idea. Don't do that. But it's like our first impulse yeah. that we think of. And I think um, when, when you consider the Silicon Valley and what makes the Silicon Valley very different right. is that culture of everybody should be able to use something is like extraordinarily pervasive. Mm -hmm. And you look at things like Uber, right? Mm -hmm. Uber is the perfect example of that. It's highly accessible. It's expensive. Right. It's private. Mm -hmm. It's capitalist, but it's accessible, mm -hmm. right? Versus, you know, you're, you're more, you know, you're traditional where everyone has their own house. Maybe it's public housing, but everyone gets their own box. Everyone has their own car and mm -hmm. they can park on the street and everybody gets free parking, right? Like, but it's not accessible because you take a lot of the resources and you say, no, that's that, that's, that's, that person owns that car. Nobody else can use it. Whereas Uber says, yeah, that person owns that car, but we're going to make it accessible. Yeah. And you end up using 50 different people's cars you know, over a month. So another example of, of uh, a company that built a great platform is Microsoft with Windows. And, and most people, I think, tend to think we, we are the users of Windows, but we don't know what's going on underneath it to make it so widely available. I mean, you could argue that, like, well, he probably struck a deal or two with a major uh, computer manufacturer, and that's why Windows became what we know today. But, I mean, back then, there was real competition on operating systems, and, and Apple had the same shot of doing that, right? Like, it's not, it was not a commercial strategy that got Windows to uh, the levels of, of usage that we see today. 
um, and, and Steve, Stevie mentions a little bit of it, of it, but I've also been reading uh, a bit from uh, Joel Spolsky, who used to work at, at Microsoft as well, right? And he has some tidbits about it. But what was very surprising to me is Microsoft and the Windows API, the API core team was so nuts about the user of their platform that they did amazing things. And I was, I was reading, again, an article by Joel Spolsky, but uh, one engineer at the core team at Windows decided to build uh, a new version of the API uh, that was used in a, in a, I think in a, in a SimCities game, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're gonna release a new version of Windows, right, the, the way Microsoft thinks about it is that everything needs to be backwards compatible, right? So if I'm running uh, Windows 95, right, and I'm gonna update to Windows 98, every piece of software that I have on my machine should continue to work. Right now it's an afterthought, everything works like that. But back then, I mean, they could have broken a lot of things and, and tell the application developers, you fix that because you were using some obscure API and it happens all the time. That's why even Apple and iOS are so defensive with their like hidden APIs. Bear with me. The point is this engineer was testing SimCity and it was breaking, right? So what he decided to do, instead of picking up the phone and calling SimCity, he decided to fix bugs on SimCity on the core Windows API, right? What does that mean? He cares so much about the end user, which is us that use those computers, but also kind of the middle user, which is the developer, because mm -hmm. if you break people's applications, you won't have a platform. Your regard for uniformity and backwards compatibility needs to be so high so that you create an ecosystem of trust and that your platform will maintain its stability. And that's, I think, what makes a, a, a brilliant example of how companies need to take care of their users along the way in that platform. And if, if you've ever seen the meme, there's a, there's a great video of Steve Ballmer, who was the CEO after right. um, Bill Gates. And I, <laughs> it's so funny. He's, he's at the, the Windows, some Windows conference. conference yeah. And he comes out on stage. He has like huge pit stains in his blue shirt. <laughs> he's just like, you know, like a typical Windows, you know, Microsoft nerd. Uh, and he's this big, big guy. And he's running around the stage freaking out saying, developers, 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 developers. And he's just like freaking out about yeah. it. But it's like, it looks insane if you don't know that the background is the core of the Windows platform is people building other businesses on top of Windows. Yeah. And every time they come up with some cool trick to make Windows better, right. if it breaks half of the companies that are yeah. building maybe boring software like business software or yeah. like, you know whatever, like that destroys much more than offering a slightly flashier experience for the end user. Yeah. And now that iOS is is evolved, you don't see very many changes on iOS anymore. Yeah. It basically looks the same. Now that holds people back and it offers an opportunity for competitors to iOS to come up with a new platform, right. but the benefits are in maintaining an ecosystem of people who all trust that if they come to iOS or they come to Windows, their business is gonna be stable. They can build a business, right? So, so how many software companies were built on top of just Windows, right? Like 
They wrote an application, became extremely popular, and made a lot of money. In the 90s, like everybody. Right? Yeah. Everybody did that. Everybody was shipping CD-ROMs all over the world to, to install it on your machine, right? So, and you didn't see that at Apple. Apple was so closed mm-hmm. and did not really care about opening their platform or their Mac OS uh, system to the world. And then the plethora of applications or the community of applications, the group of applications you can find in Mac OS was so limited that nobody wanted to buy a Mac unless you were like really into graphic design, mm-hmm. music, that's it. Yeah, and, and then so when you hear all of these, like, everyone always thinks about network effects, network effects, network effects, right? Like, I'll be Steve Ballmer. <laughs> um, it only works if you have a platform that allows those network effects to benefit everybody in the platform, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sometimes like, you know, so <laughs> one of these companies went out of business lately it was Adobe's. Mm-hmm. They were delivering cookies. Now, apparently oh, yeah, those yeah. cookies were so good. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm actually, this is a, probably a bad example, but I'm just so obsessed with those cookies. They, you know, in, in San Francisco on afternoon, you push a button and they bring you cookies. And so there's all these, the, and apparently there was probably losing money on every trip and everything right. like that. And, um, but everyone's like, well, once we get to volume, we'll get network effects. But it's like, no, 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 no. Network effects are something that occur once you have a platform right. where people reusing common infrastructure mm-hmm. via, via a set of rules and practices mm-hmm. um, actually create the, the benefits of like having a service that's used by everybody in your company mm-hmm. versus just every group rebuilding their own services. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I think we covered like the big platforms and, and we could go and talk about this for days. Right. Um, but let's talk maybe about as we go through the rest of the, the pod, some other places where a lot of the fundamentals that you see so clearly um, made objective mm-hmm. in technology platforms, which are you know obviously very simple. Actually, you know, a lot of the same principles are affecting business and politics and economics in different ways, but they're just not as clear. And mm-hmm. so by having a, a, the same understanding, we can maybe um, find some insights for how to make technology better, yeah. but then also maybe some insights of how we can think about government better or improve uh, you know, economic situations and poverty and things like that. Because a lot of the, the, the same lessons that you would learn from making Windows, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we're trying a little too hard. We'll see if it works out. You, you can be the judge, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll extend those to other parts of life. Perfect. All right, the next topic that we're, we're going to try to shoehorn into this platform, but we, I think it's useful because it really forces us to think about platforms in a more general way rather than just as, oh, that's you know, something that's computers or, or internet stuff, um, is talking about workplaces, your company, the company that you work for. Not, not, you know, every, almost everybody works for companies. Right. And the people that don't work for companies often work for freelancer networks and things like that which end up just being companies with slightly different roles. Uber, for instance, is a company that has freelancers working for it. Yeah. But it kind of looks like a big company and, and labor rights act- activists would say the same thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bridge the gap. And then I think uh, Vidal has a great way of thinking about companies, maybe a futuristic way of thinking about companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, let's go back to, we'll start with where we've already, we've already uh, gone over in the pod, which is like Windows. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I'm an application developer... In, in 1998, and I'm building on top of you know, Windows 95, or I'm building, you know, I have a pre version of Windows 98, and I'm building for that, right? Microsoft is going to give me some rules. 
And yeah. the rules are most mostly in the form of APIs. Mm-hmm. And then there's, but honestly, for Microsoft, you could do whatever you want. Yeah. Right. Um, so they give me some rules, and here's the APIs. Here's the calls you can make. Here's what you can do with the lower level systems. Here's what you can't do. So they give you the rules. They give you the distribution network, which is there's a whole bunch of companies and, and individuals using Windows. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and there might be certain fees involved. Uh, but then um, you're essentially free to build however you want without any centralized supervision or control. Right. Right. And now, okay, fast forward 20 years, um, one of the big themes in certainly technology companies, and I think more and more uh, in other types of companies, is worker autonomy. Mm-hmm. And now if I think of Windows as the company and the, and the, and the, the app developers as the employees... Right. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, autonomy allowed the Windows platform to grow exponentially and scale in a way that is impossible if you have to have Bill Gates, you know, checking checking every box every time or giving instructions. And so, a lot of the best companies now um, claim to work with agile software development or give their employees much greater control over their careers. Uh, because of the same principles of you get a better result. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a good example would be Toyota. Back in the 60s, um, Japan did not have a lot of great worldwide industries, and Toyota was one of those companies that emerged as the predominant auto manufacturer in terms of quality and the price of producing the cars. Um, and it was a big, a big thing at the time that they had the Toyota production system. Right. One of the core tenets of pro- Toyota production system, which became known as the lean manufacturing method, which is in many ways what most of Agile is adopted from Six Sigma and all this stuff that flowed out of it. But it was all started with this uh, Toyota production system, TPS. And what the Toyota people realized is they had all these really intelligent people right. in their company. And by letting them make more decisions over how cars were produced, they would get better results. And then the prime example is anybody at Toyota could stop the entire production line if they weren't happy with how the their particular part was produced. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those kind of radical innovations in autonomy where you say, I'm going to give the worker more control. I'm going to place right. much more of the control in the worker. Even though it's like a complicated t- system built by a team, yeah. it's that worker autonomy that starts to emerge. Uh, and then it, it finds its you know, it's limiting case in these companies where, you know, there's almost no supervision at all and mm-hmm. people just go nuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that as, as the kind of the bridge, we start to see maybe hopefully some kind of overlap between building, building for Windows or, or working at a company that's building a product or working at a company that just has a customer base. Right. Um, so take us through this thing by Joel Spolsky. Yeah, so, so um, if you don't know, uh, most software programmers tend to think, and we all tend to think, I'm a software developer myself, but that what we produce is the end product and you can just use it as is. So think think of it like I can go home right now, build an application, start selling it to a bunch of people. And then you pro- most developers probably do that, but, but then they come to realize how difficult it is to sell software. And they, they might think, oh, I guess I just need marketing, right? So that was, that's what went wrong, right? Like my company didn't go well because I needed marketing. And um, what Joel Spolsky in his article called the development, the development abstraction layer um, explains is like, actually not. Like 
companies are an abstraction layer for knowledgeable workers to be able to focus on what they're good at. In this case, software programmers writing software. So most software companies exist so that a group of engineers can write software for a common purpose or vision, right? And when you have underneath it, it's basically, I guess, in, in, and this is where we're pushing the boundaries of where platform definition is and where Agile comes from, uh, is that you are the futuristic or, 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 or in the future, workplaces will basically be abstraction layers for people to come together in a unified vision and build something. And for example, if I were to do it alone, I would need a desk. I would need beverages in the fridge. I would need a functioning toilet. I would need a network connection so that I can use all the tools that I use. It in on its own, it would be extremely inefficient if everybody did that. So companies provide a way for and, and, and the reason why I'm saying on knowledgeable workers is because it, it, it is where you have the most freedom to do it at home or from home mm-hmm. or do it in the workplace. Because if you are a car manufacturer, I cannot think of people building a, a successful business, building cars at home, right? That's why knowledgeable workers like lawyers, um, designers, right? Like music producers, everybody needs some sort of workplace that that helps them do their job and i think that companies that's what they do right like a company like the one we work at um, it's basically an abstraction layer and a platform for people to thrive in what they like doing which is building applications and software and technology yeah it and hopefully that's an authentic people believe us that we think about our company that way yeah um because a lot of people think about work is where you go and there's a boss, right? But then they give you money, yeah. and that's the trade. And I think you know, if if to compare two car companies, you have you know maybe Toyota as a much more worker focused, mm-hmm. but then there's Henry Ford, who's basically like, look, you stand at this place in the line, yeah. you pull this button, you know, you you you, you hit the hammer here, and then you do exactly what I say. And I think the traditional type of business that's been highly focused on efficiency mm-hmm. benefits from highly systematic and you tell people exactly what, what to, to do. do. Yeah. Um, and companies that can take advantage of the intelligence mm-hmm. of their workers or the resourcefulness or creativity um, are going to be more successful in the future. Because, yeah. you know, honestly, efficiency is a... I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say something. I don't, I don't like efficiency that much. Why? Because it gets in the way of innovation. It gets in the way of creating something brand new. And so a lot of times efficiency traps you in the status quo in a way. And what you really wanted was innovation. And again, platforms, if you, you, you look at building AWS, mm-hmm. right? Very inefficient to make everybody build an entire API layer that's hardened against yeah. you know, a public attack at any given time for everything they want to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Highly inefficient. But that's what platforms are about. And I think, and I, think that I don't want to uh, um, miss the opportunity to say so. I think that's what companies and platform come together is it's not about short-term goals. It's about long-term goals, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't build a, a company to end it tomorrow, right? Or in three months. You don't build 
a simple application just to see what, what happens or, or a platform just to see what happens. You build something really meaningful that is going to last for a good time. Um, and that's what I think companies and, and, and platforms have in common. And the best companies, I believe, that are able to attract the best talent are the ones that function more like platforms instead of, like you said, top down, the boss uh, has uh, the last say and everybody in that company does what upper management is telling them. So, you know, in our, in our discussion of companies, I think there are a couple concepts that are really important, right? Which is number one, if you think about a platform as giving you complete autonomy to do whatever you want, um, there is an important this extra thing that has to happen, which is there's a lot of really good uses for having rules. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you, so starting with tech platforms, you have Windows versus iOS, right? Now, one of the biggest things, I remember back when iOS was coming out, 2007, 2008, 2009, was that everyone was so shocked that there was no malware on iPhones. Right. Why? Because Apple locked their phones down so hard and you couldn't develop on your phone directly. You had to develop and then submit it to Apple and then Apple would allow it to be downloaded on the phones. Now that took away a lot of freedom that people were used to. That you used to be able to buy a computer, hack anything you want. It was your computer, it was your circuit board, you could put anything in in it you wanted and it it would just do whatever it wanted. And Apple made it so that you had to ask Apple permission, which is against this idea of autonomy. True in order for you, you to put an application on the iPhone. And, but the advantage was, if you look at Windows in 2000, if you go back to 2007, yeah. you know, some of you might be young, uh, 2007, every Windows machine was like all about antivirus. This is how yeah. John, John McAfee got all his money to go do whatever he's doing down in wherever, you know, John McAfee. <laughs> Have you seen that documentary? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Oh man, you need to watch it. I just imagine it has lots of machetes. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so you had all these, 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 uh, you know, so the point is John McAfee built, uh, an antivirus software right. and antivirus was a huge thing in 2007, for instance, uh, many other years, uh, because windows having total freedom to put whatever code you could, you could put on it yeah. meant that viruses and malware with the with the invention of the internet had become basically just this enormous problem that mm-hmm. was shutting down and destroying the network. Mm-hmm. And iOS kind of fixed that. Yeah. And but they did it through heavy-handed centralized control of the network, but that was what was necessary. Yeah, but sometimes like to build a long-lasting platform, one that would have a positive impact of the user of that platform. For example, in the case of iOS, iOS is the platform the developers building or the companies building those applications are the users of that platform. Uh, and then whomever reaps the benefit is the person carrying that iPhone or iPad in their pockets, right? Um, so you want to make sure that, how do, you, how do you spread all that economy? Meaning I buy an iPhone, yeah, I know Apple takes most of the profits, but also some of that money goes into the iOS application and platform, sorry, yeah, this operating system. And, and, and the developers also can charge you for their apps. So you're basically, who, who provides the funding for this platform is the end user. You want to build a platform that is good for the end user. And, 
And in that sense, I think Microsoft, when it became, I'm sorry, Windows, when it became very problematic, um, they had already control of the market. So it was not such a big impact on, oh, do I switch to Mac now because it's, it's like full there of malware. No, there was no choice. There was no choice, right? Uh, but in, in the case of mobile, and I think iOS has, has had an interesting case is, you have choices. You can you can jump to Android with no problems next day, right? So I, that's I think what what I value about companies like Apple that they really know. Now they understood how to build a platform like iOS and take care of their end user because otherwise you will be you will be in a very dangerous ecosystem and nobody wants that. But going back to that that period of 2007, I think I certainly felt. Like I didn't get an iPhone for a long time. Right. I, it's like, nah, I'm, I'm going to use Android. I, you know, I don't, I don't like this That's closed, true. this closed system. Yeah. They have control. The man. You know, I was more. But closed is not against platforms, right? Like, and I think you can have it. You can have very successful closed or highly controlled platforms. Right. And I want to give an example. Going back to the idea of a workplace. So, you know, you imagine the Google as a company. I think a lot of people, and certainly I found it. You know, when I was when I was young, thinking about working, you have Google coming out, and these guys are, you know, on skateboards around the office. Yeah. They wear whatever they want. They just, you know, they look like they're goofing off, but they all make a bunch of money. It's like that seems like the future. I want to do that. Um, and the ideal that you have in your mind is that there's no rules. Yeah. And there's no authority. And I want to give a good example, counterexample, of where they can go wrong. Everybody uh, who's a gamer probably knows Valve. Mm-hmm. So what were the? They made Half Life. Which, okay. which was one of all-time great games. Yeah. And they had Counter-Strike was built on Half-Life. Oh, yeah. And it's just a great gaming company. Yeah. And um, the, uh, the CEO is, is very popular, this guy, a guy uh, what's his name? Um, Gavin? Let me look but all's looking up the, the CEO's name. But they, you know, kind of in that libertarian, no rules, total freedom mindset. Gabe Newell. Gabe Newell. Gabe Newell, that's right. Newell. Gavin Newsom's the, the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, so Gabe, Gaben, that's mm-hmm. what everyone calls him, yeah, uh, said that hey, we're going to have this perfect office right. where what's going to happen is people will choose to work on a game or a system if they want. And they hired this guy, uh, like Giannis Varoufakis, who eventually became the, um, the head, of, head of Greece's finances or something like that, okay. finance minister, as, an, as a... As a uh, Economists and basically said, well, we're just going to provide some bonuses if you accomplish, you know, certain tasks. Mm-hmm. But everybody decides how things work together. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Valve has done very well, and it wasn't like it, it was a total failure. But that's a very platform-like company. Yeah, it's like we're going to provide the bonuses, and then you guys work it out. Not just in how you build the software, but how you build your own teams. Right. And um, you know, there, I think there was a lot of idealism at that time. Yeah. That doesn't uh, the, work. In, the internet just came out. We're like, the internet's going to free everybody. Yeah. And every, you know, the fact that anybody, you know, now the man isn't going to tell us what to say. Anybody can say anything, mm-hmm. right? And the, the man isn't going to tell us how to work. We can do anything we want. Mm-hmm. And the, the result was, and I'll read the quote that I have here mm-hmm. um, about how it kind of all went wrong is eventually these teams became very clicky. It became very political. Yeah. And someone who left the company, and who knows if this is true. If you work at Valve, it's like, maybe it's great. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there is actually a hidden layer of powerful management structure in the company, and it felt a bit like high school. Whoa. Right? Yeah. It's like when you, when you just leave things to chance, yeah. at first the freedom is so amazing that it kind of overwhelms 
But over time, every platform starts to get the bots on it mm-hmm. and the trolls yeah. and those kind of negative uh, parasitic effects right. that tend to build up. And at Valve, that meant clicks and people gaming the system. Yeah. On Twitter, it meant Donald Trump becoming president, <laughs> you know, uh, helped by all of these Russian trolls. And so what starts out as freedom eventually becomes malware. And you saw it on Windows. Freedom turns into malware. Um, and the response is there has to be some kind of tension between centralized control and the decentralized platform approach when you look at governance. Um, and I think every, every successful company that looks a lot like it's giving the people uh, choice and, and, and ideals um, can either become this bald example where it, where it went very bad eventually or can actually become um, a platform for your career. For example, I think there was a time at Google that many people joined Google because they had engineering excellence, they could see problems at scale, but then some of them became entrepreneurs and, and, and the Google mentality of how to build companies now is, is, is everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody is doing it. So it became a platform for their careers to do, to do things. Um, I think when, when you have that, you should be very careful in how do you meddle with it, right? It's a great thing for the economy, but I think also Google got a, bit, a little bit defensive, right? And oh, all these people are living and funding uh, their own companies and, and making money, but I'm losing all of my key talent. How do I do that? So they started buying back a lot of those companies because they wanted the talent back. I think it's a very um, fine line that you need to walk. And I'm going to do a plug. I'm, hopefully this makes sense, but there's one phrase that uh, Brad Pitt in this movie... Um, uh, Fury? Fury, yes. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a great movie. But he says something that is, to me, stick with me the most. Ideals are peaceful. History is violent. I'm like, well, how, how does that apply here? Now, he, he meant at war, right? Like, whenever you have some ideal, that sounds like, that's a great idea. That's very peaceful. Let's, let's do that, right? But then the actual development of that ideal, for the most part, and for almost everybody, becomes really violent. How do, how do I plug that back to platforms? I think that most platforms have an ideal that is very peaceful. And that is, for example, connecting the people. Facebook started open. You could write a lot of applications to make an ecosystem that was great. The ideal was very peaceful. Now the execution has been extremely violent. They closed down businesses, right? Like they closed down their API. Mm-hmm. Businesses interested, business interests got in the way. Now super close platform, or I guess a super close business, nobody has access to it. And now your data is being used in ways that you don't like. Mm-hmm. So the execution of it became extremely violent. And by violent, I mean not what you thought it would be. And, and I think to me, the most successful platforms and, and platforms organizations and organizations that resemble platforms like Toyota is you need to strike a very healthy balance of being very close to your ideal, but also evolve it so that it actually becomes a valuable business, but not to the point that it destroys the principles upon which you, you started that. I think that that's, a, that's a great segue. I think we want to come back and do another 
short segment on motivation and how money and uh, incentives right. work within platforms. All right. Just real quick, we'll come back and we'll do that. All right, the last section um, that all and I just discussed it. This is we're calling this the yin and yang yeah. of platform. The lar- the dark and the light. And a lot of times, um, you know, we we've talked about how companies can be like uh, platforms. And um, over the years, Vidal and I have gotten into many p- very polite and positive arguments. But we're essentially yeah. um, Vidal represents you know maybe the yin, the the yang, and I'll represent the the yin the yin. Only there's a G in the. I don't know. So I, I represent the yin, and, it, and it's it comes down to trade-offs that you have to make mm-hmm. in order to establish a platform. And there's there's no real way to say what's right or wrong. Right. And I think we have a few examples that we've used today of companies that have used the yin, which mm-hmm. is maybe like you could associate generating a lot of wealth for the company. Right. Right. Rather than leaving things open and free. Um, Linux is a good example of the total yang. Totally free, totally open, whereas um, Facebook is very closed. Yeah. They, they control things and they make a lot of money off of keeping that closed. But they keep it open in other ways. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's open to the free to the users. Right. But they killed their developer ecosystem yeah. and they kept all the advertising money for themselves and they got very good at advertising. And then they kept all that money for themselves. And when it's mobile, they made it even worse. Right. And like, has anyone ever even heard of an Instagram app? Like, yeah. Does that even exist? Yeah. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, um, Facebook was talking all about how they were a platform for the future. And so those are the choices you're going to make. Do you, do you keep things free or do you charge for them? Right. Do you pay every one of your employees in a network the same or do you char- give certain people big advantages? Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the example of how Apple treats certain companies that build on top of, of iOS. Yeah. I mean, um, I, think, I think Apple... Uh, gives preferential treatment to very visible brands, very visible customers, uh, compared to the small guy that is just building their app, small startup, and they want to get into into the ecosystem. But I think, I mean, yeah, they they need to make a compromise of like, no, everybody's treated the same, which you could argue works for some people, but in in a for profit platform like iOS is in you really need to have your biggest players or, or your biggest generators of money extremely happy and make them more efficient than they were before mm-hmm. with your platform. I'm pretty sure like some of these companies that come on stage whenever there's new release of iOS and they present something, they've been part of the beta program, they do even get access to Apple's core engineers to help them build those apps because the impact of that outsized help to those specific companies will in turn benefit the platform even more because more people will be engaged with it given the power of those big brands, big customers. And so this is where the yin and the yang, you gotta really you know, walk the line. You gotta be very careful and thoughtful about the trade-offs because there's a lot of people who have probably small applications for iOS who don't get the benefit of Apple helping them build the app and early access and brand and getting them up on stage at, um, you know, their developer conferences. But while they don't get the benefit of the extra help, they do benefit if, you know, a certain company brings in 
100 million more yeah. iOS users, User. probably not that many, like 10 million more. Like, like if, yeah. if you, if the bigger the iOS ecosystem gets, everybody benefits. Um, but on the other hand, the, you know, when we talk about Silicon Valley, the ideal is the little guy who has the great idea that no one wants to hear, right. who then changes the world. And is the, the Silicon Valley a platform? I mean, anything's a platform. I mean, you, I mean like, this is semantics at this point. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can definitely think of the Silicon yeah. Valley as a platform and gain a lot of insight from that analysis. Um, and if you, but you know, honestly, the Silicon Valley does not allow, and this is a hobby horse of mine, uh, does not allow accessibility the way it used to. True. And true, my, true, true. And here's, here's my little like nugget on this is that you, know, you used to make a company in your garage. Right. Right. Now you have to live in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> now and the garage will be more expensive than renting an office probably. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, you used to live in the house yeah. and then in the garage you have your extra business yeah. You know, because you, you just have all this space and it has become so expensive to live in the Silicon Valley that if I thought of it as a platform, yeah. I would be highly disappointed with the Silicon Valley because there's millions and millions of people who would love to participate in that ecosystem right. who are financially excluded and... I don't think that's a platform choice. That's going far to the yin. It's like, well, yeah. we'll only allow the smartest, wealthiest people who already have all the advantages in, but those super smart people who don't have wealth yet yeah. or who might not have been bored in the United States or you know things like that, they're completely excluded. Yep. And is that a great choice for the Silicon Valley platform or the United States platform? Right. Countries are platform. You were just saying that, right? Yeah, and, and you know, frankly... You know, China's building a platform right now. Oh yeah, they're they're building roads and trains and ports in every, I mean, all the way from Africa mm-hmm. to Southeast Asia, um, and, and every and every everywhere in between. And they're making. I mean, you think about roads; that's like the easiest type of accessibility. Mm-hmm. But they're building gravity for the Chinese platform, which mm-hmm. is, I think, most Americans, most Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of Chinese people don't see a whole lot of benefits where China's going to be monitoring everything you say. Yep. They're going to be going through your emails. Whereas the United States to, for, to, for better or worse and to a greater or lesser degree has pretty much said you have personal property, right. you have personal space. But if we believe in that platform, why are we closing it down? And if we believe yeah. in the Silicon Valley style of working, why are we making it cost $50,000 yeah. a year just to get in the door. One last example I can think of uh, um, is is gaming. I was reading the other day that uh, most of the big brands on, on in, in the gaming industry are eating the independent gamers, right? And that's a sort of balance you don't want to get wrong. Why? Um, yeah, these big studios can come up with this flashy franchise games, but depending on where your industry is going, the, the way you manage your platform will define if you make it in the next wave of innovation and, and consumption or you die, right? Like casual gaming is a huge thing. Most huge companies are not making very casual games, right? Like they want to build blockbuster games that everybody's talking about, not casual gaming. And to me, I mean, just another example where yin and yang, right? Like Yes, invest on the blockbuster games that and in electronics, electronics arts, right, and and Valve and all these these huge companies. But don't forget the little guy. Why? Because 
if the platform evolves to serve various types of users, you leaving a, an important part of your population of, of platform users on the side might cost your business, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great way to put it is, you know, there's so much benefit from keeping everybody accessible. Right. If, if you have to make compromises that completely kill the accessibility of your platform, your platform's going to die. Yeah. You know? And, and when we think, and, and, and just to flip this around, if you're like, I don't care that much about tech, you guys have gone on it for, for so long. If we think about all of the impoverished people, both inside countries and then internationally, who are just for no good reason excluded yeah. from the platform that is modern commerce, right? Modern, uh, you know, economies and things like that. Um, if you think about it, it's like, well, you know, those are just poor people and, and we got ours. It's like, well, you're going way too far to the yin. Yes. And what's going to bite you is that there are going to be systems that are going to arise that are going to undercut all the benefits of your platform and you're going to lose it. And then right. just, just the same way that, uh, you, you know, Google and Facebook would never let a competitor arise because they left it out of platform. So making it accessible, having that kind of universal like mentality mm-hmm. that everybody has to be part of the platform. Yeah. That's why blockchain is so popular these days and they want to use the, yeah. the distributed ledger everywhere, right? Yeah. So these, I mean, I think that so when we think about going forward, I think that a lot of the politics that we're seeing, you know, Donald Trump is not an accessible guy, right? He, he wants to keep America for Americans. Yeah. And you know what he means by Americans? Is yeah. White people. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and at the same time, do we create technology platforms and in, in, in industries that exclude people? Or do we create platforms that are inclusive and that have the benefits of getting everybody to reuse? the same stuff over and over again. So we all have essentially more without having to have any more. Yeah, I agree. I love it. All right. Well, we, we've certainly covered quite a bit here. Um, bit of territory. Yeah, but, but like you said at the beginning, this topic is extremely complex. There are, there are many things in life that you can look from a platform angle and, and, and make sense of them. So um, there, there's some, some thinking for you to do, but I think this is fun. We'll, we'll, potentially have more episodes that touch on, on the concept of platforms uh, going forward, but they're so fundamental to what we do and, and, and advancing our, our world. That, um, yeah, it's, it's an important way to think about how people interact. And as a segue out, I think we're, we're wrapping up this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make this a platform for people to be able to express exactly. their idea. Tectulia, it comes from the idea of a tertulia. Right. We're doing a pun. Uh, which is a, a salon, and we want to hear your ideas. Um, so reach out to us. Tectulia Pod is our Twitter. Uh, Matt at tectulia.org. Vidal at tectulia.org. Send in your comments, your suggestions, your ideas for show, uh, for new shows, and maybe we'll even have you on. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.